0: It's just after 8 o'clock in the big city. It's time for America's favorite Las Vegas sports show, SportsX Radio with Ken Thompson. <laughs> yeah. What up? Party's going on. Duh. Day. For peace of mind, visit PDCenterLV.com. Rob Ritchie, Farmers Insurance, 702-335-5744. 702-335-5744. Laborers Union 872. The Builders of Allegiant Stadium and the Las Vegas Ballpark, home of the Aviators. Promodirect.com. Use K-10 for a 10% discount on your promotion items ordered. PromoDirect.com. And by William Hill Racing Sportsbook. America's leading racing sportsbook. Visit WilliamHill.us. So get ready, because SportsX Radio with Ken Thompson starts
1: Now. now. All right, KT Live, Steiner's Pub, 1750 North Buffalo. Great crowd on a Wednesday night as uh, KT taking in a little WNBA playoffs. Right down the street there, Michelob Ultra Light Arena at the Mandalay Bay. Las Vegas Aces backs against the wall. Need a win against the Seattle Storm to get even one apiece before they head back to Seattle. It's the best of five, and right now the game is tied at 36, but Seattle had uh, as much as an eight-point lead in the first half, so Las Vegas right near... Uh, Right where they want to be right now, at least at the half, instead of trailing, they are tied at 36. They were five and a half, six point favorites in this game, like they were in game one, lost game one, and uh, have really. Not had the lead at all here in the first half, but they did get even, so we'll keep an eye on it right here, live at Steiner's Pub. 8168 Las Vegas Boulevard South, right there at Windmill, 8410 West Cheyenne, the original, and where KT is every Wednesday night, 1750 North Buffalo, right there at Vegas Drive. It is Steiner's Pub. There is no better place to come and enjoy all the action. Greatest happy hour, uh, great service, of course, great gaming, and the food. 24 hours, it's not bar food, it's outstanding, and KT starting with their El Pollo Loco Soup, homemade one of their Homemade soups and then a nice burger there with a little cheddar cheese and sauteed mushrooms and the homemade onion rings, outstanding, good stuff. So I'm good to go, ready to rock and roll with my good pal Mark Lawrence. It is, of course, Wednesday, so Mark Lawrence will start it off. He'll lead it off. Art DeCesar from the Superbook joins me at about 8.35, 8.37, right around there. And we'll talk Major League Baseball, lines and also college football. First full week of college football games starting tomorrow, then games on Friday, bunch of games on Saturday, one game Sunday, one game Monday as we roll through Labor Day weekend. We left off on the Sunbelt League with uh, Mark Lawrence, and of course, the Sunbelt has expanded now to 14 teams. Mark, great to have you on a Wednesday night at Mark Lawrence. Mark spelled with a C, and of course, uh, Mark, you've got all your stuff going on over there, Playbook Sports, so people need to uh, get with you. You had... uh, you had a good little run of it on the baseball, and I got a little greedy tonight. I went against my Mets. I followed uh, your little lead there, but I did play Marks Orioles, so against the Guardians, and that panned out well with a little 4-0 shutout, so won't need any bumper music. I'll have the Magic Anthem uh, going up at about 8.35, so looking forward to that, but uh, DeGrom was an ace tonight, three-hitter, and the uh, Mets win it by a score of 2-1. to It's going to be interesting if they end up playing the Dodgers in the National League with DeGrom and Scherzer trying to hold par basically basically for – or hold service, I should say, for the uh, New York Mets because they're going to – those guys are going to have to pretty much go unblemished if the Mets are going to make it to the series.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting, Kenny. I thought we were going to see a little bit of a baseball playoff preview between the Dodgers and the Mets, and, uh, you know, to the Mets' favor, they won with their ace. Dodgers were 13-1 and in the last 14 against the Mets in New York, so uh, it's a good time for the Mets to show up in a big baseball game tonight.
1: There you go. And what about Mark's Orioles taking out your little Guardians over there, Mark?
2: Well, you know, it's a little bit of a disappointing thing from the Guardian side, but uh, I'm sure Mark feels really good about the Birds, and uh, that would be a story all into itself if the Birds end up making the postseason. It would be really, really nice
1: to see. There you go. Okay, uh, three new head coaches in the Sun Belt, but some little tidbits that you may have about the Sun Belt. You do that with all the conferences. Yeah, what we talked
2: about basically is uh, how good this conference has been uh, in the role of a double-digit home underdog. Uh, they've been outstanding, 17-9 to the money, and they've also been terrific in bowl games. It's the kind of a conference that the teams often look down or look past when they're in a bowl game, and they've really, really shined. In fact, the last 25 teams that go bowling out of the Sun Belt have won 17 of those bowl games. So Remember that when it gets to be postseason, the Sun Belt plays to win other teams are just they're probably disappointed to be p- playing the Sunbelt teams.
1: All right, let's start with Appalachian State they got a big game coming up against North Carolina. At home in Boone, North Carolina. Looking forward to that one. That's one of two teams I will be on out of the Sun Belt. Appalachian State going to take a shot at them. I just like the uh, the cast coming back. And Bryce, the transfer from Clemson, has kind of uh, fit in there nicely. And uh, it's a pretty good, solid Appalachian State team. And they are tough when they get you home in Boone, North Carolina. Your take on App State.
2: Yeah, Boone, North Carolina is a very, very tough place to get in and out of alive if you're an opposing football team. They take their football very, very serious there, and it's evident by their record. And it goes back even, uh, you can go back to the days when they upset Michigan, and that was the, like the biggest upset college football had seen maybe in memory. But uh, they established themselves as a really, really good football team. And uh, personally, I feel they're the team to beat this year in the Sun Belt as well.
1: You know what, Mark, that running game, the combination of Noel and Peoples, last year over 2,000 yards and 18 touchdowns on the ground. Peoples had 14 of those touchdowns. But that is a 1-2 combo that you don't see in a non-power conference too uh, too often. And and it is an awesome combination with uh, Nate Noel and Cameron Peoples.
2: Yeah, it's very, very strong, that ground game. It's very, very difficult to beat. They just pound you down. Uh, You know, they play that style of football. And, you know, it's very, very difficult to beat. You know, they're going to be one, along with Marshall, Appalachian State, are two of only three teams in the entire college football FBS group this year that will be facing two. FCS opponents this year, so that's a little bit of an edge if you're looking for over underseason win totals. Marshall will to take on two FCS opponents.
1: Yeah, Abstate State did lose their top three receivers, so we'll see if Bryce finds some new combinations this season. Meanwhile, Coastal Carolina, I mean, I love Grayson McCall. This guy's as efficient as can be. Uh, talk to me about Coastal Carolina. They've got a big game coming up on Saturday as well. Your take on the Chanticleers.
2: Well, the Chanticleers really have come out of nowhere, and they've established themselves as a really, really rock-solid football team. Grayson McCall, a big part of that. He led the nation in team passing efficiency last football season here, completed 73% of his passes. This football team is for real. I understand they only bring eight starters back, but they're very, very well coached, and if you take a look, I know they played a ton of seniors last year, and they played a ton of playing time. Usually that reverts back the other way. But I don't see that happening with this football team here. They recruit real well. Grayson McCall, they're going to go as far as he carries them, and he can carry them a long, long way.
1: Yeah, I like him a lot, and I like the Chanticleers a lot. Uh, move on down. Next in alphabetical order, Georgia Southern, one of three teams in the Sun Belt that have a new coach, my old buddy Clay Helton.
2: Yeah, how about that? That's a nice hire for a school like this. Uh, it's, we, we threw the parallel similar to Joe Moorhead going to Akron. That's going to be a big, big boost for this football program here, and they need it. Uh, they were, they were, they established themselves as being a really rock solid football team maybe as little as eight years ago, and the wheels sort of fell off when they changed coaches and changed their style of football. And I think that's all coming back right now. Uh, they're what we would call a mission team this year. They were a bowler for three years in a row. They missed bowling in tw- uh, 2021. That makes them a, a team that will be really playing with a big, big chip on their shoulder here, and they can make some noise. Watch out for Georgia Southern this football
1: season. And you better watch out for Georgia State. The Panthers, pretty solid. Darren Granger really coming into his own last year, 19, 19 touchdown passes, just four interceptions. He rushed for three more and over 600 yards rushing, so a good one-two combination. Uh, pretty solid running back, a super senior, Tucker Gregg, sticks sticks, sticks around as well as uh, Winston uh, Williams. Uh, those two guys combining for 1,800 yards, Yards on the ground and 18 touchdowns. So the Panthers will come at you in a uh, combination of ways. Jamari Thrash, their leading receiver, is back as well. And they've got a couple of solid super senior linebackers in Muhammad and Carroll. Those guys are back as well. And uh, this is going to be a pretty good Georgia State team. They got a big game against Shane Beamer and South Carolina and Columbia. What about the Panthers?
2: Well, they're the type of football team, Kenny, that uh, really, really plays well against teams of their ilk. When they have to step up in football games is when they sort of disappear. This program started out 1-23 in, in its first two seasons as an FBS football program, but they've gone 36-46 and 46 since. So given their credit, they've really put their football program back together. But remember this, when, uh, when they've been a dog of seven or more points under Sean Elliott 11 times, They've not won a football game, nor have they cashed a ticket. So let them play against uh, their same ilk, their same brethren. But when they step up, they could be fade material.
1: Here you go. James Madison making the jump up to D1. Kurt Signetti uh, has been their coach the last three years, 33 and 5, FCS level, now making the jump. What about JMU at the D1 level jumping into the Sunbelt?
2: Well, JMU, for the longest time, uh, just a dominant football team at the FCS level. It's really nice to see them making uh, their debut right now into the in with the big boys. Uh, it remains to be seen now. What they're not going to be able to do is win a conference football title uh, because they, it'd be the transfer rule here. They're not going to be eligible to do just that, but they still can knock off opponents and they have a lot of uh, a lot of experience against other teams inside this conference here as well. I've used this, this, this saying and this adage quite a bit, and I think it will uh, apply to James Madison. They will be the kind of football team, this program, that nobody inside this conference will want to play because they're very well-schooled, they recruit, and they're going to be playing uh, with their hearts out now that, not, that they're joining the big boys in the FBS level.
1: There you go. And then Marshall, the Thundering Herd, great tradition there, uh, Charles Huff running the show there now for the Thundering Herd. And Henry Columby, a pretty solid quarterback from Texas Tech. This guy's a dual threat, and he can pick him up, put him down. He can throw the ball. Well, he's a grad transfer, comes in there, tries to restore order there for the Thundering Herd, who come off a 7-6 and six year, 5-3 and three in the conference. What about Marshall?
2: Well, tip of the hat to Charles Huff. He did a real, real nice job last year, and I mentioned along with Appalachian State, they're going to be playing uh, – two FCS opponents this year, so that should help their win total. Six and a half on the season here. They're one of the new teams that come over into the conference here, and uh, had they established themselves in the Conference USA before, I think they'll fit well into this uh, Sunbelt Conference here, and I would be surprised if this team is not bowling by season's end.
1: There you go. We'll keep an eye on that. Meanwhile, Old Dominion, another solid basketball school for years and years, but ODU coming into D1 a few years back, and uh, the Monarchs not a bad program under Ricky Ronnie. Uh what about Hayden Wolf, their quarterback? I believe had the inside track there. What about the Monarchs of ODU?
2: Well, you know, they played two types of football last year, really bad to begin with and really good to end. They averaged 36 points a game during their win streak under Ricky Ronnie last football season here. He used to be an offensive coordinator with Penn State, so he does bring a lot of uh, a lot of credential with them. They're also welcoming 17 starters back to this football team here. I think this football team has the potential to be a winning t- team, at least on the point spread side of football things. And, you know, I believe it's Virginia Tech, correct me if I'm wrong, they're going to open up with in the first football game of the season. And uh, the thing about Old Dominion is uh, they're going to be very, very tough at home, and this Virginia Tech football team looks very, very beatable this season here. Don't be surprised if Old Dominion takes Virginia Tech down in their season-opening game this weekend.
1: Oh, that would be bad news for Hokie fans, no question. And uh, that game, I believe, is scheduled for Friday. In fact, I look it is. it's a 4 o'clock Pacific time, 7 o'clock over on the East Coast, where you are right now, Va Tech. It is 7 all around Vegas, 48 the total at ODU. We'll keep an eye on that one. All right, we move on down. We're uh, going to move to the western half now. Seven teams in each the east and west in Arkansas State. Butch Jones, not what he had in mind last year, Mark. I mean, a, a horrendous year, really, for the Red Wolves. You see Blake Anderson transitioning to Logan, Utah, has a phenomenal year there with the Aggies. Meanwhile, Butch Jones waiting to get another crack head coaching-wise. Gets the shot, but 2-10, and 1-7 in the conference. That won't get it done. They do have James Blackman to transfer from Florida State. What about Arkansas State? Can the Red Wolves get back on track?
2: Well, you know, they need Blake Anderson is what they, do, they need, but so too do a lot of other football programs here. He was a miracle worker at Arkansas State. Now at Utah State and doing wonderful things over there. As you mentioned Butch Jones wasn't exactly what he anticipated here. Uh, Between the two, Blake Anderson going out and Butch Jones coming in, the recruiting classes right now have zoomed 35 spots up, which is really, really good for this football program here. So I can see, I can anticipate some improvement in this football program right now. Five wins for the season win total. Don't be surprised if they make it six and make a bowl game this year.
1: There you go. And South Alabama, never want to really play the Jags of Mobile. Always tough, always a stingy team and Kane Womack doing the uh, signal calling. Now they come off a five and seven year, but some real close games there for the taking. Uh, Carter Bradley transfers over from Toledo to run the show at the quarterback position. Your take, South Alabama.
2: Well, they were looking pretty good last year, Kenny, when they opened up the football season at five and three, but they bottomed out and fell short of a college bowl bid last season here. So that could make them mad as all get out coming into this football season here as well. They got 16 starters coming back from that football team here. I got to figure this football team to make some noise here uh, this football season here. Mad as all get out from what happened last year. They could be a bowl team this year. All
1: right, Will Hall coming off a tough year there in Hattiesburg, three and nine was so miss, Two and six inside the conference, not going to get it done too often. Ty Keys, Trey Lowe, they were battling for that quarterback position. Redshirt freshman Ty Keys may have that inside track there, and they were forced to play Frank Gore Jr., who's their running back. He had to run that uh, option, <laughs> barely through the ball, but he did what he could. He's a heck of a runner, and uh, they'll rely on him out of the backfield a lot for a lot of their offense. What about the Golden Eagles, a program since Brett Favre left, is, uh, is just not the same program year in, year out down there in Hattiesburg, Mississippi.
2: No, it's not. In fact, uh, you can go back uh, in history and remember when they were in the Sun Belt, they were dominated the Sun Belt. They were 64-21 and 21 in the Sun Belt, and that's where they're going back to this year. So it could be like there's no place like home for this football program here. you got Frank Gore, Jr., a running back, and uh, his father in the Hall of Fame. Uh, that should be a big, big boost for this football program. He was, did really, really well as a freshman last year, and they bring a lot of offense back. Nine starters come back from last year's team. I think this team can really be improved this football season as well.
1: All right, Texas State, they've got a good game coming up on Saturday as well, and they've got a new quarterback. Speaking of Arkansas State, Blake Anderson ended up taking Logan Bonner with him to uh, Logan, Utah, so Logan to Logan. And uh, Lane Hatcher now has transferred as a redshirt junior. He's there for Texas State for Jake Spavadol. What about the Bobcats of Texas State?
2: Well, the, the, the one thing that they did is they kind of tricked up all of college football when they decided uh, they weren't going to uh, take anybody in the transfer portal one year, and the reason they did that was uh, because they could they would keep their recruiting uh, eligibility wide open the following year, and it ended up being a real, real good move for this football program here. They've got 10 starters back from last year's football team. That's that's really saying a lot uh, for a football program here that has a lot of returning experience along with that. I look for Texas State here to be a real surprise team inside this conference here and make a lot of noise.
1: All right, and then we move on down to Troy. This is John Sumrall's first year. He's a defensive-oriented coach, and he'll have to deal with Ole Miss in Oxford on Saturday. Gunnar Watson comes back to run the show. Kamani Vidal out of the backfield pretty good and uh tez johnson outstanding wide receiver he is back as well uh on the defensive side of the ball they have carlton marshall who is back at middle linebacker at 20 127 tackles last year and then javon solomon 11 sacks so troy has some key players coming back including some super seniors they'll have to be ready to go to ole miss they're getting a ton of points but what about troy what about the trojans
2: well, their new head coach here, John Sumrall, was on Chip Lindsey's staff at Troy, so he just uh, he's very, very experienced and knows the program inside and out, which will be very, very beneficial. You're talking about a team with 18 starters coming back, nine on offense. That's going to bode real well for this football program here. They were always the red-headed stepchild, if you will, within the state of Alabama. It was Auburn and Alabama that got all the recruits and those that didn't go there ended up at Troy, which made them a very talented football team. And that's still the case for this program here. I like the Troy Trojans real well this football season.
1: All right, Louisiana's Raging Cajun. What a great year. 8-0 in the conference last year, 13-1 and overall. Michael DeSormo inherits Billy Napier's Uh, Covered there, what's left of it. Uh, Napier did take his leading rusher over there to Gainesville with him, and Florida has a big game coming up on Saturday in the Swamp against Utah. That is a huge game. But Louisiana, what about the Raging Cajuns? What can they do for an encore, and what can we expect from head coach Michael DeSormo?
2: Well, this is the one program I think takes the biggest step backward, Kenny. And if it's not so much just because of Billy Napier, but it's because uh, he took his entire staff with him and a a lot of the football players are no longer going to be uh, at his disposal here with this program here. Uh, Big, big shoes to have to fill, obviously, for all the success he had. Uh, Levi Lewis, their uh, quarterback, uh, they lose him. They lose most of their offensive line. Again, I say that I think this team will take the biggest step backwards. I don't think they'll smell the eight and a half season win total this year.
1: All right. And then UL Monroe, Terry Bowden, my good buddy Joe Lisi's good friend, Terry Bowden doing a nice job. I, I, when you say that and you look at the overall record, four and eight, two and six in the conference, but they were in several of those games that they lost and coming off an 0 and 10 campaign, pretty solid job by Terry Bowden.
2: Yeah, Terry Bond did a terrific job uh, the uh, last football season here. Uh, but the problem this year is look at their schedule, Kenny, here. Uh, the, the schedule maker did not do them any favors at all. They're one of seven teams that will be playing a total of seven road games this year. And you can't expect to go for, from uh, being a cellar-dweller to improving and surprising, and then continue that climb uphill when you have to go out on the road seven times in, in the course of a football season here. I think it's back to the norm for this football program. The oddsmakers did a good job when they slapped up two-and-a-half wins for their season win total here. They didn't get overexcited about last year. I think it's a good, solid number, two-and-a-half wins for Monroe this football season.
1: All right, let's jump into some action. We've got some games tomorrow, some big ones. Backyard brawl back intact. West Virginia, Pitt, what about it? Two USC quarterbacks going at it. Keaton Slovis, JT Daniels. Right now, Pitt minus seven and a half, 51 and a half. The game's in Pittsburgh. Narduzzi's boys, they lose picket. But again, grabbing Slovis, pretty good. But I like West Virginia. I think that's too many points. It's a rivalry game. They haven't played it in a while. But I like uh, all those points with West Virginia. I took a shot, and I took a shot at them on the money line.
2: I agree with you both ways there, Kenny. I think this has got a b- real big effort for West Virginia coming out of the gate here. Uh, the first time in 11 years, this backyard brawl gets uh, resumed, and we need it. The college football needs it because they're borderline rivals, and uh, it was really one of the best rivalries in all of football. I mean, don't know why it ended up uh, dissipating like it did, but it's really, really nice to see it back. The, you have last year Pittsburgh the defending ACC champion. They lose their quarterback, to, uh, first-round quarterback uh, to the Pittsburgh Steelers. They lose their Fred Blitnikoff, wide, leading wide receiver. He transfers to Southern Cal. you got West Virginia coming in here. Hungry is all get-out right now with Neil Brown. And he's also got a quarterback, I think, that could be a big difference-maker for this program right now in J.T. Daniels. Uh, he's raving about the way he's been playing here, the, uh, the best quarterback that he's seen. Remember, Daniels started at Southern Cal and he started at Georgia. He's going he's gonna to end up making, helping to elevate this football program I see the upset in this football game uh, when they played this football contest. All
1: right, that makes me feel good. What about Penn State and Purdue? Did not get involved, but it's up to that three and a hook now. Penn State don't like road dogs laying three and a half opening game, but Penn State's defense always seems to be a little bit ahead of teams that are not known for defense in the Big Ten, and this is a Big Ten opener. 53 and a half the total. I do respect Jeff Brom and the offense there. Aiden O'Connell coming back, uh, ran the show pretty nicely, and Sean Clifford, you know, when he was healthy, he was okay, and you get Kevon Lee coming back as well. He had 8.2 yards per carry. Uh, you also get uh, Parker Washington, pretty solid receiver, but importantly, they get Mitchell Tinsley, the leading, uh, second leading receiver, actually, for Western Kentucky. But over 1,400 yards, 14 touchdowns. He transfers to Penn State. Uh, Purdue bringing some good guys back. And Charlie Jones, pretty solid wide receiver from Iowa, transfers over inside the conference to Purdue right now. Penn State in West Lafayette, minus 3.5, 53.5, Mark.
2: Well, as you know, I'm not the biggest uh, James Franklin fan in the the world, Kenny, here, and I think this football team can be exposed. Last year they won seven football games and they went uh, to a bowl game despite the fact fact that they went backwards offensively and defensively. They improved straight up and against the spread, but went backwards offensively and defensively statistically. That's a formula for disaster. And I think it will catch up with Penn State this year. I'm a big, huge Jeff Brom fan. He's a terrific dog. He's 15-6 and six in his career, taking points in conference games, I see the upset here as well.
1: All right, real quick, we'll duck in a couple of the big boys for Saturday. Notre Dame, Ohio State, this line getting out of control. Brad Powers played it at 10 and a half with Ohio State. 17, 17 and a half you can actually find in this game. Is that too many points, Mark, to give the Irish right now? Uh, pretty much 17 here in Vegas, faraway places. I did see it get up to 17 and a half Total's 59 from the horseshoe.
2: Well, Brad played the game at 10.5. Obviously, he knew what he was doing. Uh, He could see see which way the the football line was going to go. And if 10.5 was the right number, 17.5 is ridiculous. Uh, A person has to to jump in on the value with Notre Dame like this. Ohio State's getting a lot of ink, a lot of press. They're going to be a very, very good football team. I think, hands down, easily the best team in the Big Ten Conference. But you still have a team in Notre Dame that recruits daylights out of football talent. They're a very, very talented football program here. It's just way far too many points here they've lost by more than 17 points only 10 times has notre dame uh in in the the course of my database here i gotta grab the points with the irish
1: all right i'll I'll, I'll agree with you there because i think it's gotten out of hand and i hope i can find a 17 and a half on game day we'll see if the ohio state money continues to flood in uh last one utah at florida in the swamp and we had uh Bill Riley, the voice of Utah, on the show last Friday on the Friday Football Fiasco, and he gave us some great information that Utah was preparing for this game by upping their temperature indoor facility to 90 degrees, putting on swamp coolers to get the humidity, and then blaring the sound as loud as they could to get ready for the noise in the swamp. Uh, they got a pretty good quarterback in Cam Rising, outstanding running game with Thomas and Bernard, and probably two of the best tight ends in the country in Kincaid and Keithy, although uh, Bill saying that uh, Keithy would do more wide receiver positioning this year. They did lose Devin Lloyd, but they brought in Florida transfer. Mahmoud Diabati, who had 89 tackles, transfers from Florida, said he fell in love with the team and Kyle Whittingham's style uh, when they were beating up on Oregon in that Pac-12 championship game and then that wild 48-45 loss to Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. Uh, Diabati's going to know all about. Florida's tendencies, even though Billy Napier comes in there, brings his running back, but Utah at Florida, Anthony Richardson now running the show, Montrell Johnson's that running back we're talking about, over 800 yards and 12 touchdowns, your take on this one, this is going to be one hell of a game, Utah at Florida, and Utah was a dog, and now they're up to three even everywhere pretty much here in Vegas, Mark.
2: Well, once again, if you you believe that the first number was the right number, there's a lot of value to the Florida Gators in this football contest here, and I like them for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, this is the role where Billy Napier shines. He's terrific as an underdog. He's been the dog 18 times. He's only lost to the spread six times in that particular role. What I really like about them is they are what I call a red-faced bowler, and what those are, simply put, is they're teams that ended their season in a bowl game last year. They were favored by seven or more points and they got upended and lost in embarrassing fashion. These teams really give everything they've got in a season opening game uh, to take uh, that egg off of their face, and that's the role that Florida will be in this particular football game. Utah surprised the Pac-12 last year by winning the conference championship. Now, all of a sudden, uh, they go from the hunter to the hunted. And uh, I think you're going to find Florida targeting Utah in this football game here. I see the upset with the game. There you
1: go. Good stuff. Is Mark going to go with the hometown Gators? Mark, let everybody know how to get the plays, how to get the newsletter, how to get involved with that free coffee club deal. Lay it on us.
2: Well, Kenny, as you know, our, our football newsletter came out uh, uh, today, Wednesday, and we have comprehensive write-ups on every one of the games. It's uh, We just put a lot of work and time and effort into these write-ups here. You read them, you're going to learn a lot about every football team playing this weekend. You can download that online at playbooksports.com. If you want to subscribe to any of our publications, I'll also throw in a free coffee club with my daily sports e-newsletter that's complimentary on me in your voice, in your email box, I should say, each and every day, daily through the Super Bowl. You can check it out all online at playbooksports.com.
1: No question. Colleen did her homework. Uh, She's the backbone of... uh... Playbook Sports and does a great job. Mark Lawrence just takes all the credit. But, you know, keep it in the family. It's all good, Mark. We'll talk to you next Wednesday, pal. Looking forward as we get into not only the college full schedule of next week, but also the NFL. And we've got that Thursday night opener, Buffalo, at the L.A. Rams defending Super Bowl champions. Mark, great stuff as always. Appreciate you, bud.
2: My pleasure, as always. Kenny, be well, stay safe, and enjoy the games.
1: There you go, and that'll do it for the first segment. We'll come back. Art Dice 21, baby. Arthur DeCesar going to join us from the beautiful Westgate. Yes, he's a supervisor over there at the Superbook, and we'll talk plenty of college football and, of course, update the Major League Baseball. We'll do that all when we come back. SportsX Radio rolling live from Steiner's Pub, 1750 North Buffalo. KT in the house. You miss any part of the show, archives are now put up. Apple Podcasts spotify and soundcloud and all you have to do is go to those or if you follow at ken thompson 87 or SportsX radio on twitter they'll be tweeted right to you we are live from vegas live at steiner's pub ken thompson coming back mark hoke you'll recognize the music when we do come back and we're coming back with art dice right after this keep it right here on 720 am 101.5 fm you're listening to SportsX radio on kdwm
2: something magic happens
0: every time you go you make the magic happen, the magic of Orioles baseball, when the game is close and the Yokes are hot. There's a thundering roar from 34 to give it all they got. And you never know who's gonna hear them call. Every game has a different start.
3: That's the magic of Oreos baseball. Oreos magic, Billy happen. Oreos magic, Billy Hasbro. O-R-I-O-L-E-S.
1: Magic, 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 magic. All right, now KT's not Orioles back magic, at studio, so I missed the uh, charades there from Mark Hoke, but he's enjoying life as his Oreos go into Cleveland, shut out the Guardians 4-0. How about prospect, their top prospect, Gunnar Henderson comes up, homers in his first at bat as the Baltimore Orioles. Lyles pitches the shutout, a five hitter, and he owes blank the Guardians 4-0. They are eight games over 500, or seven, I'm sorry, 68 and 61. Guardians dropped to eight games to 68 and 60. So the Orioles, if they were in the Central, they'd be a half game out of first place. My goodness. But they are closing in on a wild card. And September starts tomorrow. So we'll see how things pan out. Yankees trail 3-2 to two right now in Anaheim after 7. And with that note, we bring in the Yankee fan, that's right, he's one of the best in the business, Art Dice 21, baby, Arthur DeCesar, big time Westgate supervisor over there in risk management, but he's there to help you out if you make it in, and uh, do not forget about the Westgate Super Contest, it is back and better than ever, the Ultimate Pro Football Handicapping Challenge is back for its 35th year with more ways to win and over $1 million in guaranteed prizes. This year's Super Contest features 11-in-season contests, including two nine-week contests, plus an overall champion. That is 12 ways to win and a total 100% payback. And back by popular demand, the winner take all $5,000 entry Super Contest Gold. And do not forget that you have that chance there at the uh, second half Super Contest reboot. And uh, you can sign up now through September 10th only at the world famous Westgate right there, 3000 Paradise. It is great to have you, Art Dice, Arthur DeCesar. My goodness, man, the Orioles just continue to play great ball. Uh, the Orioles and Houston with the best records in the American League since the All-Star break, and your Yankees still limping to the finish line. Played a little better for a while. They need to get this one against the Angels. Top eight, they trail at 3-2, to two, but Judge continues his torrid pace at an MVP run with 51 dingers already. Art Dice, great to have you, pal. What about Major League Baseball? Let's start there before we get into the college football.
4: Yeah, KT, it's a pleasure to be here with you. You know, as far as my Yankees go, there's really no drama. I mean, they're not going to lose the division. Obviously, they're going to be in the playoffs. Honestly, at this point, they're not catching Houston for the best record in the American League. That's not going to happen. The only drama left for the Yankees is can judge break Roger Maris's American League home run record and team home run record. I mean, literally, that's it. That's the only drama that's left. Obviously, you want to keep guys healthy. You don't want any injuries down the stretch here, but you know, the Yankees are really just going to limp to the finish line here. That's just the way it looks. And speaking of those Orioles, those Orioles are incredible. They're two games out of a wild card. And, you know, I was looking at it today. They're obviously the team that they're right behind is Toronto. They have 10 games left with Toronto and they're already six and three against Toronto. So, You know, Baltimore is going to have a chance to decide this on the field. It's not going to be one of these things where these teams in front of them can duck them. They're going to get a lot of chances to play Toronto. And like you said, they call up Gunnar Henderson. They call up D.L. Hall, who's another top prospect. The Orioles have nothing to lose. They're feeling themselves. And God bless the Orioles. I think they're actually going to get in.
1: There you go. And they went on the road tonight. Now, they're 31 and 37 on the road. They played very well at Camden Yards. But if they're able to somehow even out that road record uh, you know before it's all said and done well you know or come within a, a game or whatever 40 and 41 you know whatever they need to do to get close to 500 on the road because that would include some victories more than likely north of the border against Toronto but yeah I'm pulling for Mark O's and they're exciting and it's fun and and again that uh, that Orioles magic song I thought I'd maybe hear it like 20 times the whole year I've heard it like 20 times in the last 26 games or whatever it is it's it's just unbelievable I've got like I said I've got a buddy uh, up in Reno doesn't even like baseball, but he just likes he just bets on the Orioles every day because he knows if he turns on SportsX Radio and hears that Orioles song, that he won another bet.
4: I love that. That's amazing. But yeah, you know there you know there is still some drama left in baseball. Um, you know, sticking in the American League, obviously a team that the Orioles played tonight, Cleveland. I mean, Cleveland now. You know, you can almost put the White Sox to bed. The White Sox are now five games back. Cleveland is only a game up a game and a half up on Minnesota and they have eight games left of each other. So that's another one pretty much going to be decided on the field, you know, between the guardians and the twins who's going to come out of the central and then everything else is pretty much decided. You look at the NL. I mean, Milwaukee is there. they're two and a two and a half, three games out, but I don't know. I just don't like what I've seen out of the Brewers. I don't think they'll get that wild card. I think it will stick with the Phillies and, you know, either the Mets or Braves, whoever comes out of the NL uh, the NL East, and then uh, obviously the Padres. So I don't see Milwaukee getting in. So a couple of things still to be decided.
1: Real quick, how many games did the Yankees have left with Tampa Bay? Because the Rays are only six and a half back. The Yankees lose this game. They're only going to be six games out.
4: That's a great question. I actually have their schedule in front of me. The Yankees have actually starting their next series is three Tampa, six, I'm seeing six games
1: left with Tampa. Wow, I'm so. just saying. Now, now I do know that, you know, at, at the Trop, you know, it's like Yankee Stadium South, I mean, with all those yeah. Yankee fans transplanted down there. But nonetheless, the, the tighter things get, the more the Yankees are going to feel the pressure. Tampa Bay playing with house money, but they're 15 games over right now, two-game lead, on toronto and like you said the oreo is going to make that interesting with 10 games left head to head with the blue jays you're right minnesota got beat tonight xander bogarts had a grand slam and five rbis helped the red sox with a 6-5 victory and that busted minnesota's five game winning streak so uh they're only a game and a half back behind the guardians you're right chicago bills white Sox, two games under 500 They're only five out in the central, but, man, they are just tough to watch. I mean, it's like watching paint dry with that team. And uh, the Mariners playing good ball again, back to 14 games over 500, looking like they're going to be in there as well as Tampa Bay right now. Those are the two leading wildcard teams with Toronto sitting third and then. It is the Baltimore Orioles and Minnesota Twins right there uh, with the Orioles just ahead of the Twins by a game. So it's going to be a lot of fun. National League, the Mets, DeGrom flexed his muscles tonight, pitched an outstanding game, had to because Tyler Anderson on the hill there for the Dodgers, and the Dodgers have mastered the Mets in New York. Uh, the Braves found a way to squeeze past Colorado so the Mets don't pick up any ground. Still three games up on Atlanta. Your take on the NL East, Mets and Braves, who wins the NL East?
4: Oh man, tough. I, you know, I'm still going to stick with the Mets. I think the Mets find a way to do it. You know, DeGrom has come back and obviously given them a spark. I still, you know, Diaz has been the best closer at baseball. You still have Scherzer there. The teams are equal though. I mean, that's as close as you're going to get to equal teams. I mean, that's why it's been so close. That's why the division's so close. And, you know, we sit back in that risk room every day and we talk, oh, well, it's going to be the Mets or the Dodgers that come out of the NL. And then, you know, a couple of us say you can't count the Braves out. I mean, the Braves are a team that don't get talked about enough, maybe because they're the defending champs. You know, they lost Freddie Freeman. I don't know what it is, but, like, Atlanta is so good. They're really, really good. But I think they'll be, you know, they'll be hard to deal with in October, but I still think the Mets get the NL East. All
1: right, so, Art Dice, uh, real quick, we've got uh, tons of college football coming up this weekend and then the pros get into action next week. I'm really looking forward to uh, college football tomorrow because there's some really good games on Thursday to start out. Uh, West Virginia and Pitt, Mark Lawrence and I just talking about that game. Pittsburgh's a seven and a half point home favorite. Backyard brawl back intact, 51 and a half the total. Two SC quarterbacks, JT Daniels, Keaton Slovis, going to battle it out. What about it? Who do you like there? Because I took a shot. I took the points and I actually took a little bit of uh, plus 270, I think I got West Virginia on the money line.
4: Well, you waited for the right time to get it, KP, because, you know, when we opened it, we opened it pit minus six. It's been nothing but public money that's come in on pit. I mean, it's just – it's moved that game to seven, now seven and a half. So, you know, there's really no necessarily key numbers in college football. It's not like the NFL where three and seven are incredibly key. But you are getting over the touchdown. You're getting the hook. I don't know. Tough game to call. I think Pitt is going to be – probably better than people think. You know, they lose Pickett, they lose Addison, they lose their offensive coordinator. Everyone's thinking they'll take a step back. I don't know if I'd lay the seven and a half now, but I think Pitt finds a way to win the game and probably cover, but, I mean, I wouldn't be going to the window laying the seven and a half.
1: All right, so Penn State and Purdue, three and a hook over there at the Westgate Superbook right now, 53 and a half from West Lafayette. Sean Clifford's back, he's Lee. Uh, In the backfield, pretty solid. Parker Washington, outstanding receiver. uh, With Dotson moving on to the uh, Washington Commanders, got to get used to that. But they do get Mitchell Tinsley, who transfers over from Western Kentucky. This guy, uh, outstanding year, 87 receptions, 1402, 14 touchdowns for the Hilltoppers last year. Uh, defensively, they have a couple decent guys back on both sides of the ball. They struggled with Austin P. Uh, Western Kentucky did in their opener, but Penn State looking to take advantage of Tinsley's services. Now, they're going to West Lafayette. Uh, Jeff Brom, we know he's always going to have exciting offenses. He does get Charlie Jones, wide receiver that transfers over from Iowa. He's got Thompson and Sheffield, a couple decent receivers coming back uh, defensively. They've got some decent players as well. Uh, You know, and then Aiden O'Connell, you know, 28 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, not too bad ratio there. Your take Penn State at Purdue right now at the Westgate Superbook, Penn State minus three and a half in West Lafayette to open up tomorrow night.
4: Yeah, KT, and that just moved too. We were basically sitting at three forever. We had Penn State minus three. We did just go to three and a half. That's really no surprise. Penn State money always comes in. Penn State pretty much still a national brand, but, you know, I don't think Penn state's going to be as good as people think. I, you know, Purdue probably a little underrated on the defensive side. They return a lot of starters on defense. I mean, tough game to call, but I think Purdue getting Penn state week one at home is probably an advantage where, you know, it's not that it's late in October, or early in November. So actually I think Purdue getting the three and a half, I actually think taking a shot with them at home is not a bad deal
1: I can see it. What about Central Michigan? This is a pretty good Chippewas team, a team that could challenge for the western half of the MAC, getting 22 big ones at Oklahoma State. Not saying that uh, Spencer Sanders and the Polks are, you know, going to have trouble with the game as far as winning it, but I think that's a lot of points with a decent team, Central Michigan, a team that comes to play. And a feisty team out of the MAC. I think that's a lot of points. I think I'm going to take a shot at the dog now that it's over 21. Where are you on Oklahoma State in Stillwater over Central Mish? Yeah,
4: you know, I I don't hate that. You know, that game's actually kind of gone back and forth when we had Oklahoma State. 20 and a half sharp people were very happy to take the under three touchdowns. Then we eventually got to 21, 21 and a half. We got as high as 22. There was buyback on Central Michigan. Now we're sitting at that 21 and a half. So, you know, we've actually seen sharp action on both sides. I'm with you. Hard to lay that type of points in a week one matchup. I know Oklahoma State's good, been a good program, but you know, those teams out of the MAC are very feisty. I'm with you. I think I would take the
1: points. All right. Meanwhile, Oregon and Georgia, Stetson Bennett coming back for a little encore. What about it? Stetson Bennett and Georgia, they're at home against Oregon. And uh, it's a pretty hefty number. You don't see the, the Ducks getting a lot of points like this. But, you know, Georgia, what are you going to do? I mean, this is a solid squad in between the hedges. They're minus 17 at the Westgate. Last I saw 53 the total. Uh, the Ducks do bring back pretty solid defensive player in Sewell. Noah Sewell's outstanding, and uh, he'll lead the way there. Uh, Jamon Hill as well. The Nickelback is back, and Steve Stevens' a safety pretty good as well. Byron Cardwell, we'll see what he can do on a full-time basis with Bo Nix now running the quarterback position. Transferring in from Auburn, Uh, Franklin, Thornton, and McGee. A very young receiving core there. For the Ducks, and with Thibodeau gone, Sewell's is going to have to step up, lead that defense, and not an easy place to do it in between the hedges because uh, Bennett's got, you know, some pretty good receivers coming back, especially at the tight end position with Brock Bowers and Eric Gilbert, uh, two of the best, and then Mitchell McConkey and Jackson all back wide receiver wise, and on defense, Nolan Smith is back, and Robert Beal Jr. and Jalen Carter. So they lose eight to the draft, but they still bring back three pretty good ones to anchor that defense there for Kirby Smart. What about Georgia? Minus 17. 53 the total in between the hedges.
4: Yeah, you know, these games are tough, especially two two big games. This is going to be one of the biggest games of the week. There's pretty much three more games. This is obviously one of them. Georgia is now like an Alabama. Obviously, they're the national, they're defending national champs, but they just freeload. That's what they do. You know, we had 17 and a half, so it's only really moved half a point. This game doesn't have a ton of action on it because it's either people are too scared to take the points of Oregon thinking, you know, Georgia could win this game 34 to 10. And people don't want to lay that type of, you know, points early in the season because they just don't know what they're going to get out of Georgia yet. So really tough. Honestly, I think if I were to look at the game, I'd probably lean the under. I kind of like the under a little bit in the game. Maybe a little bit of feeling out process for both offenses early on. And we know Georgia's going to play defense. I don't care how many people they lose to the draft. That's just what they do. So I think if I would look at the game, I'd lean towards the under.
1: Alright, so now North Carolina's got a game under their belt. Now they played a very depleted squad because of ineligibility problems because of processing over there at Florida A&M. Uh, game was closed for a while, but UNC with a 21 nothing advantage in the fourth quarter. Uh, Drake May played an outstanding game of quarterback five touchdowns no picks Uh, you know he rushed for 55 he threw for 294 Hampton and Green on the ground were solid, 170 between them and two touchdowns. And then uh, Eccles had ten tackles, nine of those solo, a sack and two tackles for loss to lead the Heels. But they're going into Boone, North Carolina. That's a tricky place to go. Chase Bryce coming back, the transfer from Clemson. And this is one of the best running games. I talked about this with Mark Lawrence. Nate Noel and Cameron Peoples, these two guys over 2,000 yards and 18 touchdowns on the ground. And I'm just saying, man, I think App State wins this game.
4: I love that you said that. This is obviously, you know, depending on who you want to take, the best team in the Sun Belt. And North Carolina, despite all that last week, and I understand they're laying like 42, 43 in that game. They don't even cover the game. And this is one of these things like, even look at the way Appalachian State schedules. They even next week have Texas A&M, Like, they're not afraid to schedule people, they're not afraid to play big teams. So the fact that North Carolina is coming into Appalachian State you know, a pretty solid ACC team. And the fact that that line is only one, I think that's all you need to know. It's very telling. I know you mentioned Chase Bryce, you know, whether it's him or Grayson McCall, who's the best quarterback in the Sun Belt, you know, Bryce can make an argument there. So I'm with you. I think taking a shot with Appalachian State, I love it because I think everybody will be on North Carolina
1: there you go and meanwhile I'm going to take Coastal Carolina as well at home against Army you talked about Grayson McCall I like him a lot and Bennett and White in the backfield coming back uh, Pickney uh, transfers over from Georgia State pretty good receiver but I just think Coastal Carolina at home the shot to Clara, Jamie Chadwell have them ready he's 23-10-2 and against the spread look Jeff Monken's a, a riverboat gambler man the guy went 4th and 1 on his own 10 last year I don't go for that crap man I know it's going to come back and haunt him uh, one of these times and I think it may be in this game if he tries to get cute. I think Coastal Carolina is going to roll. I don't think Army's going to have an answer for Grayson McCall's passing.
4: Yeah, I don't hate that either. And, you know, one note on this game, that's a game we opened at 56. Total now sitting 53-and-a-half. Obviously, Army Army usually gets under money because of the way they control tempo and the way the clock runs. They're always running that option. So pretty good, sharp under money has come in, moving that total two-and-a-half points.
1: All right, we got about 45 seconds. I didn't see to save too much time there, but Notre Dame, Ohio State, it's up to 17. If it goes to 17-and-a-half, I'm going to take the Irish. But Buckner uh, rolled the ankle, but he's ready to roll. Uh, Bertrand leads that defense. They, they were missing a lot, but Mare, one of the best uh, tight ends in the country, C.J. Stroud with Travion Henderson, uh, Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, the offense is ridiculous, and the defense pretty good as well. Well, everybody's got Ohio State penned in there with Alabama to make that playoff. But I think they're uh, going to get a stiffer test than people think with Notre Dame coming in there. What about it?
4: I don't disagree. Notre Dame was one of my favorite overs. I mean, I don't see them winning this game. Notre Dame is going to be really good. You mentioned it. The Ohio State offense has a chance to be in hus- a historic offense, one of the best offenses we've seen in the last 10, 20 years. I actually like the over. I think there's going to be a lot of points. I think they'll get up and down. Totals 59. I'd take the over
1: is Art Dice, baby, at Art Dice 21, hour number one in the books. Get over to the Super Book. It is outstanding, folks, and you got that super contest coming up. One hour in the books, 101.5 on the FM side, 720 on the AM side. Ken Thompson, live, Steiner's Pub. Keep it right here, KDWN. You're listening to SportsX Radio. We'll be right back.
0: For peace of mind, visit pdcenterlv.com. Rob Ritchie, Farmers Insurance, 702-335-5744, 702-335-5744. Laborers Union 872, the builders of Allegiant Stadium, and the Las Vegas Ballpark, home of the aviators. Promodirect.com. Use K-10 for a... 10% discount on your promotion items ordered. Promodirect.com and by William Hill Racing Sportsbook. America's leading racing sportsbook. Visit WilliamHill.us So get ready because
1: SportsX Radio with Ken Thompson starts now. 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 Alright, KT Live. Hour number two. Steiner's Pub and the end of the Aces and Seattle game. Wild Seattle taking a three-pointer with about three seconds to go. No good, but no foul. And so if you bet on the Las Vegas Aces, minus the six points, you come up a point short. 78-73, the final. Las Vegas does even up the series. Mark Davis, the owner of the Las Vegas Aces, very happy camper, wearing his white little blazer over there at the uh, Michelob Ultralight Arena. Las Vegas, 78. Seattle, 73. Chicago also evens up their series with Connecticut, 85-77. They do cover at home the 5.5 in a game that stays under the 164 by two points. And uh, the Vegas game, 169 and a half. that game only hits 151, 78-73. We'll get with Chuck Hayes in just a sec. Let me run down uh, the other scores because did not get to uh, go over that Richard Badge and Finley Toyota out-of-town scoreboard. Milwaukee, matinee style, they beat Pittsburgh 6-1. to one, Can't game any ground on the Cardinals, who in 13 innings win in Cincinnati 5-3. San Diego behind Musgrove. Matinee win up in the Bay 5-4. They beat the Giants. Mets double up on the Dodgers 2-1. DeGrom was sharp. Dodgers only three hits in that game. Tyler Anderson didn't get any run support. Mets win it by a score of 2-1. And Atlanta squeezes past Colorado. Lost 3-2 to the Rockies last night. Beat them 3-2 tonight in Hotlanta. Philly will get a win. Falter, the lefty pitching a really solid game in Phoenix. 11-1 right now. Philly rolling over arizona meanwhile american league houston matinee style they win in arlington 5-3 behind javier baltimore with the shutout and uh, that's a big time win for the orioles in cleveland four zip the final behind jordan lyles meanwhile marco gonzalez in seattle they win Detroit now 30 games under 500, 50 and 80. My goodness, man, what a tough year it's been for the boys at Comerica. 5-3, Seattle gets the win. 6-5, Boston. Again, Bogarts, a grand slam and five RBIs. They nip Minnesota and Joe Ryan, 6-5 the final in Minnesota. Break the Twins' five-game winning streak. Chicago's White Sox finally get a win on the south side, beat the Royals 4-2. And right now the Angels continue to lead the Yankees. They go to the top of the ninth. That is 3-2 Angels in Anaheim. The three... Interleague game, saw Tampa Bay knock off Miami 2-1. to one. Washington behind Annabelle Sanchez, his second solid start in a row, 5-1. They beat Oakland and 7-5 to five, the Cubbies north of the border take out Toronto. And again, gave you the two WNBA scores. That is a look at the Richard Badge and Finley Toyota out-of-town scoreboard. And without further ado, we welcome in my good pal Chuck Hayes. He's been a busy camper in the City of Angels. Chuck, first off, let me ask you, where are you at as far as uh, in L.A.? Because I know the five... Uh, Freeway uh, was closed off there. My brother-in-law and my sister uh, actually have a house at Halsey Canyon up there on the top of the canyon and uh, in Castaic. And there was a a massive fire going on there. Now, I texted with my sister, and she let me know that it was uh, going the other way, away from their house. They actually are on the top of that uh, canyon there. And she's just saying, hopefully those Santa Ana winds don't, uh, you know, turn. Otherwise, uh, you know, could be trouble. But my goodness, the fires that you get there in SoCal, you just never know. And I, a lot of them over the last couple of years. But where are you? Are you anywhere close there, well, actually, or where I are you? I was in
3: Pasadena today, coming down the 110 freeway, and when I was listening to the, uh, the reports of all the activities on the 5, I could look to the north and see the smoke plume, which is about 30 miles away, and it was a, it was a big fire. But I'm down in the harbor area and. The winds have been blowing, uh, 13- to 15-mile-hour gusts, uh, the Santa Ana winds, and uh, it was the fire wind, as we call it, Uh, very warm, uh, very uh, dry, and those conditions, uh, you know, we haven't had rain in a long, long time, so we wish the best for those folks up there, and it's going to be a hot weekend.
1: No doubt about it. It's going to be a hot weekend football-wise as well. Let's hope that uh, you know the air quality stays somewhat good. We never look for real nice air quality over there in uh, City of Angels. But uh, actually, uh, you know, it's been so long since I've been there, outside of going to SC games. You know, every year. How is the uh, air quality? Has it gotten any better, or does it just keep getting worse?
3: Yeah, no, it's better. You can see the you can see the smog hang on on certain days, but it's it's better. And part of it is all the environmental restrictions on the gasoline and you know taking the lead out and i'm not an environmentalist but i know that with that many cars on the freeway and trucks that if something wasn't done uh to be able to restrict that uh the emissions uh as well as um everything else that goes on in southern california with 15 plus million people in the basin and uh a lot of them are raider fans uh Ken, and uh the charger fans are trying to get it together and the Ram fans uh Next Thursday, uh, they're getting on the freeway right now to be able to get in line at SoFi for the Bills to come in and open up on Thursday Night Football.
1: There you go. That's right. That's the opener. Uh, let Let me start there. I want your take as far as mindset. For Buffalo, and it's probably a good thing that the Bills are playing that game on the road. And the reason I say that, with the Matariza problem uh, there on the, you know, the alleged gang rape stuff going on there and costing him his job, and uh, you know what? I mean that that pales in comparison to. Uh, what allegedly happened off the football field. And it's something that, you know, I think SoCal with the uh, story in the L.A. Times uh, a few months back uh, has had a better handle on than the rest of the country. Uh, But I would think that's a major distraction. Now, the Bills went out and they did release him. And then, of course, they uh, end up signing a new punter today. But I would think, you know, they're fortunate that that game, you know, is on the road, I guess, you know, to be away from, you know, just all the media there as far as speculation. Like, uh, did you know about this prior to, you know, keep, you know, getting this guy, drafting him? From what the Bills have said internally, they did not know about the specifics when they drafted Ariza, But they did know uh, something was going to come down potentially prior to them cutting Hog, the uh, punter that was allegedly, uh, or uh, later on signed with the Colts because Sanchez went down, and so the Bills had to go out and they had to, you know, sign a new punter today, and they were able to do that. But I mean, that's uh, that's a dicey situation there for Buffalo, and I, they really don't need that type of press, especially when everything looked like it was pointing. To Buffalo being the odds on favorite to not only get to the Super Bowl, but potentially win the Super Bowl. I mean, you don't find a team going on the road against the defending Super Bowl champions being a road favorite like they are in that game. Just a couple points, but nonetheless, Josh Allen and the Bills, they are the favorite to win it as far as in the NFL here in Vegas.
3: I think one of the things you look at is that uh, this player was a rookie, um, and from a, a specific standpoint, there have been no charges filed. It's much like the Deshaun Watson case. This is a civil matter. Uh, I'm sure the police department in San Diego and the uh, uh, authorities that uh, monitor that campus uh, have that opportunity. But, again, that's done and done. And Sam Martin is their new punter. He was released by the uh, by the Broncos and uh, a 10-year veteran, uh, joins the Bills, so they basically took care of business and, and took it out. So here's the, the situation. The Rams uh, kept all three quarterbacks, and th- when I looked at that, uh, keeping Wolford and uh, Perkins, uh, Perkins pushed really hard at the end, and of course uh, they were 1-2 and two in preseason, their only win over the Chargers, is that if I'm the Bills, I'm going to get a heavy dose of uh, Von Miller uh, in the face of uh, Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford is not taking any uh, live activity of the level that we would expect at, at this point in time of the year. So that will be the storyline uh, going into this Thursday night game, how well with a new left tackle, uh, a running game that hasn't been established, and the fact that the guy that the last time played in SoFi Stadium, uh, Vaughn Miller, was wearing uh, Ram jersey number 40. So when you look at at this coming in, you know that he's going to be motivated. Uh, They're going to go to work on the left tackle. There's no doubt about that on the blind side. So Sean McVay has to really tailor the game plan in regards to what works best. And here's the funny part about this, how this world turns. The backup for Josh Allen is Case Keenum, the former Ram who, you know, every place he goes he puts up points and numbers, but – Uh, We're going to see Ed Oliver, uh, just a phenomenal player at Houston, uh, as a Cougar, uh, team up with the likes of Von Miller and put it on the Rams to start the season. It's going to be a street fight. Uh, There's no two ways about it. If the Bills are going to go to the championship, they have to win the ones that are right in front of them, and this is the one that starts it off.
1: Chuck Hayes, our guest. Uh, Chuck, you know, here's the thing. I I like Aaron Donald. I always liked him as a player. I liked him at Pitt. Love him for the Rams. I don't like what he said as far as what happened in practice, the swinging of helmet where he said, ah, it's just a practice. You know, I get that tempers flare in practices. But if we don't have a zero tolerance for helmet swinging, somebody's going to end up with brain injury, or somebody's going to end up dead. I mean, it's amazing that Mason Rudolph, at least as far as we know, with the Miles Garrett swinging of the helmet and nailing him pretty flush on, does not have brain damage. I mean, that is a lethal weapon. And when you have a guy the size of Aaron Donald swinging two helmets, if he clocks someone with the velocity that he was swinging these things and he hits someone with the power behind him, all of a sudden, his life could take a bad turn. I think the NFL, although I know teams have to, uh, you know, uh, police themselves as far as practices, this is where the NFL needs to step in. Not lay down a suspension, but bring it to the forefront and say, this needs to never happen again. We are laying it down. This is a warning now. We're going to use this as a springboard to make sure that nothing does happen, because we're fortunate that nothing happened. Had Aaron Donald hit two players from the opposing side there, Cincinnati, and hurt them, then what are we looking at? I mean, this is something that you know it. You, you know the game of football. These helmets are heavy. They are, and when you have a guy 280 pounds that's built like Aaron Donald if he swings that sucker somebody's going to be knocked out or worse I'm just not a
3: big fan of you have that inner squad uh, inner scrimmage inner team if you will because the coaches are pushing they're on the field they're yelling you're you know you you see it from hard knocks you're competitive and they're pushing 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 and You know, the fact that last year the Rams won the Super Bowl and probably the Bengals feel that they were right there is something that they probably could have won, Uh, you know, give it a neutral site. I'm not saying that SoFi had an advantage, but when you play at home and you sleep in your home bed, you know you feel a lot better. I don't care what the pressure is. That's just a little bit different. And they're pros and everyone handles their their business. But, again, I've been at uh, those uh, training camps and they've had those scrimmages. I was there. Um, when the Chargers and the Rams practiced, and it was intense. It was, you could tell it was personal on a lot of matters. And where does it get personal? It gets personal in the outside, in the receivers and the DBs. And then once that starts happening, because they talk more outside and showboat and spin the football and do all the things that they do, and then it starts getting into the interior. And if someone takes a cheap shot or someone, Goes for a lower leg uh, whip or something like that. That's when the push and shove starts happening, and the next thing, it's on. And again, you, you, what do you ha- what do you do? You get kicked out of practice. I mean, in the NFL, in a game, if something like that happens, you're ejected, you're fined, impossible suspension in order. In a practice camp fight, nothing goes on.
1: All right. Uh, so let's take a look at this Rams team. I wanted to get your take. Robert Woods, now a member of Tennessee, Odell Beckham Jr., a member of that uh, Rams Super Bowl championship team. He stepped in, he kept his mouth shut, and he did his job, uh, you know, in big ways last year. And now Allen Robinson is the heir apparent uh, to Odell Beckham Jr. Robert Woods, Allen Robinson II, or Odell Beckham, who would you rather have at that position?
3: Well, again, Beckham's hurt and Woods is no longer there. So you're going to go with the one that's there now. And unfortunately, because of the fact that Stafford did not have a lot of work uh, in camp with him, was limited, we really don't know what the connection is like. you, you, you got to take, take it together. One thing I do know is that they kept Lance McCutcheon uh, as the third receiver, and Bryce Perkins and him had a great, great relationship. So that's a plus. But when you look at it, and you see Robinson, and you see Ben Skronik, um, and uh, Van Jefferson is going to start on the, uh, on the injured list. I'm not sure when they'll have a chance to activate him and, and what that timeline looks like regards to it. So you're going to see uh, the opportunity for the Rams to uh, push Tutu Atwell, make or break time for him. Uh, Higby, the tight end, is going to be backed up by, by Hopkins, And then when you look at uh, Cup, you'll get a lot of work because that's the guy. And then Skorodek, the receiver from Notre Dame, who's a Cooper Cup clone, will add to that. Uh, So that's where we're at. Allen Robinson, a lot of potential, but execution and going up there and making that that clutch catch. You know, Robert Woods, you could set the watch by him and know what you were going to get.
1: The uh, Bobby Wagner situation, how is that working out? How does he look in practice?
3: Again, these guys did not push in practice. They gave them veterans. They, I mean, it, it was almost as if they took the San Antonio Spurs, um, Popovich style of, uh, you know, we're going to practice when you want to practice, that kind of thing. Uh, a lot of guys in sweats, a lot of guys in helmets and pads, and. Yeah, they got some thud in, but again, to the ground, you don't. You just see that in regards to the practice dummies. Same thing with Jalen Ramsey. He's he's been a guy that's that's been slow off the mark in regards to that getting better. Uh, again, uh, Ken, it's 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 what they what they do. They're professionals, and uh, what's going on with Sean McVay is he gives them a, a, a long leash. And expects them to be pros, and I think they perform for that. Remember, they they got the jewelry right now. Every move that they made coming back has worked out for them. And so, you know, you look at this this team, and and you say, what can we do better? Um, we're going to see that in regards to what happens at uh, at left tackle with Joe Nopum. and that's really the story. Because you take a guy that you know played for forever and uh, take him out of that mix, and you put a new person in and no boom. Uh, Havenstein on the right side at tackle, uh, they didn't run the ball very well. Their tight end play is a little bit thin uh, in regards to, you know, Higby as a run blocker. You're going to see a lot of jumbo, another offensive lineman. That's what he does to get the, to get the offense going. He'll, he'll bring in three tackles and double tight ends, and get some push to get Akers and Daryl Henderson going so that um, Matthew Stafford can play pass and, and find Cooper Cup in the seams or hit Robinson deep. Um, again, we don't know who the real deep threat is because uh, Cup is not a burner. Robinson does not appear to have that. Atwell was supposed to be that guy to stretch the defense.
1: All right, Sandoval pitches very well for the Halos. Yankees get first and second, nobody out top of the ninth, but the Angels close the door. They win it 3-2, to two, so a nice effort by the Halos. That game is a final. Yankees now just a six-game lead over Tampa Bay with a month to go, month plus actually, because the first week of October, still in play as far as regular season. So it's going to get interesting in the American League East with the Rays playing well and the Yankees continue to slide and struggle. And a uh, nice effort by the halo, shutting the door tonight and getting the win if you play them plus 165 over here in Vegas as they beat Garrett Cole. And the, Yan- the Yankees only getting three hits in that ball game. Ken Thompson, Chuck Hayes, as we roll on through talking Rams. Now let's move over to the team that the Raiders will be opening against at SoFi. It'll be that Los Angeles Chargers team and it's a pretty solid squad and they bring in Sony Michel who was signed. He was released but now he has been signed by the L.A. Chargers. They have Isaiah Spiller. They have Joshua Kelly who's been impressive in camp from what I hear. Austin Eckler is back. Again, can he be durable enough to make it through the season? We know Justin Herbert's the real deal. Uh, receiving wise, you know, pretty solid combination, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. And uh, then they're hoping Gerald Everett, the former Ram and Seahawk, can get it together at that tight end position. And uh, with Parham on the men, you know, take care, of, uh, take care of business there. It's a pretty solid offensive line for the Chargers. And then the defense is probably going to set them up with a bunch of short fields throughout the season if you get guys like Khalil Mack to maybe go back a couple years and get back to his heyday. They've got Drew Tranquil, the Notre Dame kid who I like a lot. Uh, Kenneth Murray Jr., this guy needs to up his stock based on what he did last year. Joey Bosa's, you know, he's ridiculous like his brother Nick. If the Bosa boys ever stay healthy for a whole season, that's when you know their team is going to be right there in the mix. Uh, the former Rams, Sebastian Joseph Day, coming in as well. And uh, then we talked about uh, J.C. Jackson, uh, the New England free agent coming over, but he is on the mend right now. Uh, any update whether or not J.C. Jackson will be ready for that opener against the Raiders?
3: I think when you see the active and, and that day when the when the schedule or actually the, uh, the actives and the inactives comes out, it'll come down to that. But, Ken, let me just throw a number at you, and I'm not really the biggest analytics guy, but when numbers jump out, I, I pay attention. Since December of last year, including the preseason, the Chargers are 1-6. Now, they lost to the Chiefs in December, the Texans. They beat the Broncos. They lost to the Raiders on the last day of the season, 35-22, or 32, rather. And 0-3 in preseason. Lost to the Rams, lost to the Cowboys, lost to the Saints. Now, they could have beat the Rams. That was a heck of a football game that – On the last play of the game, turned on a tip path that the Rams picked off. The Cowboys, they looked abysmal on special teams, and the Saints was a road game, and they really did not put up very much offense. Now, Brandon Staley in his presser this week calls this week zero in the NFL a bonus week. He said, what we're looking to do is not much preparation for the Raiders. More about us, more about getting into our rhythm, our work-week rhythm. I think that's a big goal for us, to kind of establish that work rhythm within our football team. Get our guys back really focused on the fundamentals of what's going to take, blocking, tackling, and takeaways, and all the things that are the essence of football, and then make sure we're still developing our schemes. i a little bit concerned about that, that, to me, seems like what training camp is. It's not like training camp was the double-day grind that he used to be back in the Lombardi era and back when, when uh, George Allen was the revolutionary of not forcing defensive players to wear their helmets during practice. And we all know the story about, uh, about uh, Dave Butts' helmet being uh, kept in the equipment storage uh, area. Uh, at Redskin Park, then Redskin Park, and Billy Kilmer icing a six-pack in it because why? The defensive players didn't have to wear their helmets during practice. It seems as if Staley um, is trying to get back to the basics, if you will, to really right the ship a little bit. And and to me, I'd be a little bit concerned if I'm a veteran, and, and there's a lot of veterans on that team, they said we have to get focused on fundamentals. Fundamentals are a great thing. Everybody has them. Yeah, you got to buff, you got to refine, you got to polish. But um, maybe he's slow playing it a little bit. Poor mouth and it. Maybe they're really hard at work grinding that Raider tape.
1: What's your take outside of uh, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen? Is there enough offensive weapons for the? I mean, Austin Eckler, we know. Uh, but I mean, from the receiving core, because I'm not sold on Gerald Everett or Parham as far as tight end wise. I mean, there are no Darren Waller, uh, even Foster Moreau. I think is better than both those guys. Uh, Joshua Palmer, were you there? Jalen Guyton, DeAndre Carter. I mean, the depth as far as the Chargers, I'm just not sold on it. I mean, I love Williams. He's a he's a tough matchup, and Keenan Allen doesn't drop anything. I mean, the guys as solid as they come, but. Uh, I just wanted to get your take on this Charger team that everybody, you know, around the country seems to have fallen in love with Justin Herbert. But like you said, they just don't win big games and they haven't had that winning feeling. And so you get a, a just a sense of like, okay, Brandon Staley, I know he's a young, innovative mind, but, you know. He's not a Todd Monken where he's going to go for it on his own 10-yard line like the Army coach. But, you know, from his own 35, he'll go if it's fourth and one. And, you know, we saw that come into play last year against the Raiders, and it cost him. Uh, I'm just wondering where this offense is depth-wise as far as Chuck Hayes is concerned. Because I'm concerned if I'm a Chargers fan.
3: Well, here's uh, the, the deal. And, and I saw this a lot during uh, last season, that Keenan Allen could go plays without catching football and get lost, and you know maybe he's drawing a lot of double coverage, and then you know Mike Williams is finally starting to come on, and he's been banged up a little bit over his career. It started when he was uh, at Clemson when he was he was hurt, and they still took him, and it took a while for him to get back into being a, a, a dominant type player, but he has that next level. I'm not saying it's DeAndre Hopkins. But it's 6'4", 218 in his sixth year, and you know that um, Keenan Allen is in year 10. The addition of Sony Michel has got to do a little bit to help Austin Eckler. I think that's that's something we're going to see. Joshua Kelly is a nice back, but he is not a guy to be uh, what they call the bell cow. He's not the guy that's going to carry it 25 times. And he does not catch the ball as well as Eckler does in that offense. So, remember, you're looking at an offense. Think back to when Drew Brees was getting it going in New Orleans. It's the same offense, except now Herbert is the architect in regards to that for for Joe Lombardi. And you have to run the ball. You have to play pass. You have to use the tight end. And you're right. Gerald Everett is a big, big question mark. He is a huge question mark in the sense that he could not stick with the Rams, and they loved him. They forced him into situations on a regular basis to get him going, to make him be the kind of player that uh, could be a dominant receiver, a mismatch, if you will. He's not been able to stay healthy. He's not been able to stay on the field. He's a little bit bigger now at 240 and uh, the veteran out of South Alabama in his sixth year. It's going to be weird to see this, Ken, and it'll be strange when you see. He wears number seven, a tight end wearing number seven. Sometimes this numbers game I don't really like. I'd, I'd rather see a, a tight end in the in the 80s to, uh, to 89, if you will, or back in the day I guess the only guy that really was a tight end of any note that had a different number was Pete Retzlaff wore 44, for the Eagles back in the day, that one. Go to the YouTube highlights on that one. But you're right, and Parham, you know, again, last year was hurt in that game, uh, in that Thursday night. I think it was a Thursday night game where he had the neck injury and they took him to the hospital. Thank God he was able to recover from that. But you're going to be looking at a team that is going to be questioning itself a little bit, a little bit during this. And when you get hit in the mouth. As the Raiders are going to hit these guys in the mouth coming off a 4-0 preseason, everybody knows that you know the Raiders, you know they come and play with swagger. And uh, when the uh, Chargers played the Cowboys in preseason, there was a ton of Cowboy fans there, and it was loud. And I can guarantee you that the Raider fans will be three times as loud when they come in on September 11th at SoFi Stadium. So it will be as if the Chargers are playing a road game. They're going to crank that video board up. There's going to be more noise. And sometimes I wonder if it's not a huge distraction for Justin Herbert and the uh, Charger offense when they're on the field.
1: Great stuff from Chuck Hayes, by the way, on Twitter, at all capitals now, C-A-H, Iron Man and then the number 7 at C A H Iron Man number 7 Chuck Hayes you can get your tweets down this guy will answer questions i mean if you tweet towards him uh, this guy, trust me, he knows football inside out. He does a great show right here at KDWN Saturday nights with Coach Harvey Hyde. They cover USC football. KT just very fortunate because he's been an a-, a USC fan his whole life. Uh, so I get to listen to the guys, and they break it down. They get the inside scoop on Southern Cal who opens up against Rice. We're going to get to USC and UCLA in just a second. Real quick, do not forget about the Preventative Diagnostic Center, folks. Remember, if you'll fall in that demographic, 40 years of age to 70, well, you're pretty fortunate because we've got the only scanner of its kind in the region. Gives you early detection before signs and symptoms of more than two dozen ailments like heart and lung disease, cancer. That's right, the Preventative Doctor uh, Preventative Diagnostic Center with Dr. John Pierce, UNLV Alumni of the Year in 2018. Well, they've got it going on there, and you can schedule your uh, free educational consultation, 534-7900. you got the 702 down for Vegas, 534-7900, 534-7900. Let them know Ken Thompson, SportsX Radio sent you. Comfortable scan takes a few minutes. A couple days later, you get a detailed report from a board-certified radiologist. They continue to run the special on the heart CT scan and calcium score. Guys, I encourage you, ladies as well, but guys, really, I mean, don't get blindsided by that widowmaker. Don't have those arteries clogging up where you don't know about it. A lot of stress in today's day in life. A lot of, you know, especially here in Vegas, a lot of you don't take care of yourselves. You're not working out hard. You're uh, you're hitting the machines, the tables, the games, and drinking and partying and, and not uh, paying attention to that bod too much. So get in there. Check things out. Get that Heart CT Scan Calcium Score Special. $600 value, $125. And the cool thing is, your significant other absolutely free. So the two of you get that Heart CT Scan Calcium Score. Total $1,200 value for $125. Early detection is Key, get peace of mind, take charge of your health. Preventative Diagnostic Center, you can go to pdcenterlv.com, pdcenterlv.com, check out the scanner there, and then make that free educational consultation phone call. You can do it now. Leave a message. you got the 702-534-7900 Preventative Diagnostic Center. Ken Thompson and Chuck Hayes as we roll on through here on a hump day. Hump day vibes right here at Steiner's Pub. KT, uh, here Wednesday nights. This is my eighth year here at Steiner's Pub. 1750 North Buffalo, 8168 Las Vegas Boulevard. South right there at Windmill and 8410 West Cheyenne is the original. Three Steiner's Pub locations, 24 hours, all three Great food. It's not bar food. It is a full menu. I mean, again, I had the burger and the onion rings, homemade onion rings. Had the homemade uh, El Pollo Loco soup, which is, uh, again, all their soups and salad dressings, homemade. It doesn't get much better than that. You've got the gaming right there, long bar, and then you've got the uh, marquee board. When you come in, you can see which machines have been hitting and uh, which ones have been hot of late. They've got it all lit up over there in the sports. They'll replay the game. So if you're somebody that works graveyard and you get off, you know, 8 in the morning, you're like, ah, there's no games on. Yeah, they'll replay those games. So this Angel-Yankee game, the Dodger game, they've got the packages on all the sports, and you come in, it's dark. You have no idea what time it is, and that's why they say sometimes in Vegas there's no need to have a clock clock. It is uh, great stuff. But I'll be, of course, watching all these college football games live. We've got some good games tomorrow, good games on Friday, and then Saturday, 35 games, one on Sunday, one on Labor Day, Monday. Looking forward to all of that as college football has center stage to itself pretty much with Major League Baseball uh, starting up the first week of September and some great pennant races and some great wild card races going on as well. Uh, Let me jump over, uh, Chuck Hayes, and jump over to the – uh, the Chargers-Raiders situation because you mentioned, you know, Chargers won in six in their last six games. And, of course, uh, several of those games, three of them preseason games. But teams that do not win in the preseason, Mark Lawrence sent me a trend. They struggle mightily to make the playoffs. I mean, it's it's a trend that he's got a database going all the way back to 1980. And, of course, you know, most teams playing four preseason games for a long, long time. This year the Raiders did play four as well as Jacksonville because they were in the Hall of Fame game that I was at over there in Canton. Uh, but the other teams playing three games, the Raiders, as you mentioned, finishing 4-0. and And I don't think that was, uh, you know, something on the docket as far as, uh, you know, Coach Josh McDaniels wanting to win all four uh, preseason games while he was trying to figure out his roster, but you know what, hey, what the heck, you'll take it and you build that winning tradition and uh, try and, you know, get this team to consistently think of themselves as a playoff team. They made the playoffs last year under Bisaccia after he takes over for Coach John Gruden. Derek Carr still at the helm. Josh Jacobs looks like he's in midseason form. Uh, a, couple, for a couple draft choices that made the teams. Amir White out of Georgia, we figured he would be there. He's right behind Josh Jacobs. They kept Brandon Bolden. Uh, Amir Abdullah beat out Kenyon Drake. And then Britton Brown also made the squad. That was a surprise. But Britton Brown really played well in the preseason games, uh, the youngster out of UCLA. Uh, so there's a, a plethora of UCLA talent here. Colton Miller, when he was drafted a few years ago in the first round, people like, were well, who's Colton Miller? Like, who is a six-nine gangly guy? Well, he's turned into be one of the best left tackles in co- in uh, pro football out of UCLA, and then his former teammate at UCLA, Andre James, is anchoring the center position right now. Now, Dylan Parham, their draft choice out of Memphis, can you know he's a versatile guy. He's uh, right now backing up John Simpson at left guard, and also Andre James at center. Uh, Lester Cotton, senior, turned things around, and he moves into right guard. They cut Leatherwood, so right tackle right now belongs to Jermaine Illuminar. and then Thayer Mumford, Jr., the seventh round pick out of Ohio State. He is the backup right there, and he really showed well in the uh, preseason as well. Leatherwood was picked up by the Chicago Bears, and that saves the Raiders a complete hit on the salary cap. They dodge most of that bullet, so that leaves money out there. And a lot of folks saying, you know, the Raiders, why they're in, uh, as far as looking at more offensive line help, uh, remember that uh, Ndamukong Sue is out there and he may be someone also that the Raiders will take a look at. They did get Jonathan Hankins and Balaam Nichols who they got from the Bears during the offseason. Uh, they, both those guys now have about eight days of practice under their belt. Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, that's going to be a one-two And if those two guys stay healthy to get in on opposing quarterbacks and they need to pressure guys like Justin Herbert. That is key, but the Raiders also making a lot of moves in the secondary. Nate Hobbs moves into that left cornerback position and Trayvon Mullen was traded to the Arizona Cardinals yesterday. And, uh, you know, Chuck, that was the one that surprised me. Not so much that Leatherwood got waived, but really that, uh, you know, that that surprised me, Trayvon Mullen getting traded. Now, I know he was banged up, had a couple uh, different little injuries there as he went into camp and just wasn't able to you know, produce on the field. So McDaniels and company figured, you know what, let's get a pick for this guy. Now they get a seventh-round pick, which could be a conditional sixth-round pick depending on how he does, Mullen does over there with the Cardinals. Uh, but your take as far as some of the moves Raiders-wise and also Chargers-wise as far as roster moves?
3: Well, I think a Coach comes in and he's got a, a contract and he can make moves Uh, and look at something of a younger player, and, you know, again, against the cap, we don't know exactly the numbers on that. I don't, in fact. But, you know, everybody's got a board, and everybody sits up there, and there's a grade on them, and you come to a consensus uh, in regards to how it stands right now, and is that player a better player? Can he work in our defense better? Does he do something different? What's he like in the, in the dressing room? Um, you know, uh, Isaiah Paul Mile from SC, making the, making the team as an undrafted free agent. You know, there must have been a hunger there from, from Isaiah that overcome the bad taste in the mouth that was last year's 4-8 SC season. And so he, he's a contributor. Maybe he did a great job on special teams. You know, you look at these kind of things, and again, I I, I go back to hard knocks. When you watch hard knocks, and if you know football, you can see the things that coaches and front office people think are important versus the show part of it. There are little subtleties that you see, um, how that team responds to a quarterback. What happens when uh, when, uh, a kid starts making tackles on special teams and He's a free agent or he's an undrafted uh, or a low-draft rookie. And all of a sudden, he's leading that team, and, and, and he, he gives them a lift. I think that's what a coach comes in with a, a you know, long-term contract, if you will. And, you know, again, in the terms of Jerry and for NFL stands for not for long. But when you have a new GM along with a new head coach, and they're turning a roster over, and they know what they're looking at, and they've sat together – Hours upon hours upon hours looking at film and knowing that they want to get to a certain number and saying, okay, you know what? Midweek cuts happen all the time now. It never used to happen in the NFL. It Players get released all the time now, moved up from a practice squad or sent down or cut or physically unable to perform. And it's a chess match, and it's a long chess match. So you got to be patient, you got to have a vision, you have to understand what you're trying to accomplish as a football team because I think chemistry is a lot less important today than it once was when you had six preseason games and a smaller roster.
1: All right, so uh, let's shift now to college football. USC and UCLA both opening this week at home and no headline games. Southern Cal at home against Rice, UCLA taking on Bowling Green. Let's start with the Bruins. Uh, You know, Chip Kelly's got a squad, like you said, the uh, non-conference schedule. You know, rather lackluster to say the least, but, uh, you know, they got to take care of business. They can ill afford to falter to any of these teams. What about the opening game with Bowling Green? Dorian Thompson Robinson, super senior over there now uh, at quarterback, looking to be healthy. Jake Bobo comes over as a grad transfer. Uh, They've got some other players that have come over, including uh, the twins over there, Gabriel Murphy and Grayson Murphy. Uh, Both these guys pretty solid last year, and they're going to help that defensive line, but uh, also Darius Musau. Uh, who was a leading tackler, uh, you know? So, you know, there's a lot of uh, Mountain West guys coming over to help out uh, UCLA and, and Chip Kelly. Uh, what about the offense? What about this Bruins team? What do you expect from UCLA? They were eight and four last year, six and three inside the Pac-12. I think the ceiling, you know, may be a little higher than most people think with Charbonnet back in the backfield. I mean, I know they lose a lot receiving-wise, but again, we don't know how the transfers are going to pan out. What's your take on the Bruins?
3: Here's, here's the way I see it in regards to uh, what that team accomplished in 2021. First of all, the bowl game that they didn't play against NC State I think hurt them in this marketplace. They lost that opportunity. They dominated USC 62-33. to They beat Cal the next week 42-14 to finish at 8-4. and And they are on the rise. Can you imagine beating SC in the Coliseum in front of only 68,000? That, to me, I still can't believe that actually happened. They did not ride that train hard enough, I feel, during the off season to be able to create that enthusiasm. They beat LSU at home. Um, they beat SC. They beat Cal. They lost to Utah. They lost to Oregon, a game they probably should have won. A loss to Fresno, that was disheartening for them. And, again, when you look at the Arizona State loss, that was something that, you know, a bad ASU team usually could have had that opportunity. So now, what do you read about in Los Angeles or what do you hear all the time? SC, you hear about Caleb Williams, you hear about Jordan Addison, you hear about now – they're driving Mercedes. They, the other guy's got a United Airlines NIL deal. This is a guy hanging out with Dr. Dre. You don't hear that coming out of Westwood. You don't hear any talk at all. And sometimes when you're building something, and somebody else is trying to tell everybody what their driveway is going to look like, and the windows in the building are going to look like this, you know, they're they're talking too much. There's a lot of talk in University Park, a lot of talk. And UCLA is just going and taking care of business. And all they have to say is scoreboard. 62-33 now. SC turned the roster over. But, again, in that battle with a new roster going into a veteran UCLA team, and there's some, men out. There's some transfers, and they got some nil. I'm not saying they're crying poor. But what's the national perspective on UCLA football? They're riding USC's coattails into the Big Ten. Everything you hear about them is second-class citizen. That's not the way that program is perceived the way I see it. When I think of UCLA Bruin football, I think of Coach Donahue and Coach Prothrow and Gary Beban and Troy Aikman and Tom Ramsey and the pride of, of, uh, of uh, Sons of Westwood. This is a program that's, that's hungry, and Chip got a lot of criticism. But again, they were eight and four. Now they got a cakewalk of a schedule to open up before they get into it. Their toughest game will be on a Friday night. The only problem is, is that no one's going to be talking about them unless they screw it up.
1: Yeah, no question. Okay, so Southern Cal, on the other hand, talk about grad transfers and transfers coming in. Caleb Williams at quarterback. Travis Dye comes over from. Oregon, Austin Jones from Stanford uh, in the backfield, Bobby Haskins, big left tackle from Virginia, Brendan Rice comes over from Colorado, Jerry's kid, Mario Williams also from Oklahoma, and Jordan Addison transferring in from Pitt, uh, Terrell Bynum from Washington, I mean there's a lot of offensive talent on the defensive side of the ball, you told me that uh, Shane Lee looking good, the grad transfer from Bama, Romello Height also comes in from Auburn, so some SEC talent there. Uh, I think Southern Cal has got the potential to, you know, be pretty good. But they've got to take care of business on the field. They open with Rice. Then they go to Stanford. They get a pretty good Fresno team uh, back there at the Coliseum with Hayner at quarterback still and Tedford now back at the helm there for the Dogs. Then they go to a tricky place up there in Corvallis, and Jonathan Smith has it going on up there, and we know that's been a house of horrors for SC several times over the last 15 years uh, as far as making a trip to Corvallis. Home games against ASU and Wazoo, then at Utah. Any chance in your mind, or is it a good chance in your mind, that Southern Cal is 6-0 before they go to Rice-Echo Stadium?
3: You know, Ken, it's going to be very interesting, and I'm going to be in the box on on Saturday, and I'm going to look at a lot of things. I'm looking at personnel and how many players get reps, what their body language is on the the bench. You know, the only guy that's not playing at SC, it seems like that's a major superstar in college sports, is LeBron James. If LeBron had the eligibility left, I think he might be playing tight end at USC, honestly. The way they went out and did this, there is an entire turnover. Now they've got an offensive line where – um, they've got a question at left tackle, well, that's going to be talked about. Uh, you have uh, a Corey Foreman, who last year was uh, considered the number one recruit in the country, he's underachieved. These are all question marks that are, that are going to be started to be answered. And it's going to start on a very warm day in the Coliseum at 3 o'clock. And I think one of the things that's going to surprise people, and especially these players that have come in, as to what the actual attendance looks like. Now, we know the student section will be full because, frankly, it's a happening; it's an experience. But it's going to be a very, very warm day, probably in their advantage that it's not on national TV, it's on the Pac-12 network, not every cable system has it. So if you really want to see them, you're going to have to go. But those are going to be the challenges and how they respond, this superstar team, this all star AAU style football program, how are they going to gel as the University of Southern California Trojans?
1: Has that really been a, a major problem there, especially in California with the Pac 12 network and their problem with DirecTV? I mean, I am just blown away that that never got worked out or, you know, with Time Warner or whatever it was. I mean, I just, I, it blows my mind. And so that really did open the door more so for these TV packages to be put together to where. You know, the money's there for SC and UCLA to go to the Big Ten. It's, you know, there's no conflict of interest with the Big Ten network, with any uh, systems. And I, I just don't understand how things like that, you can't have a mediator come in and just work something out. It makes no sense. And it really screwed over the public there in Southern Cal, uh, a lot of the public that wasn't able to watch some of these games over the last several years.
3: Ken, 100%, and you got to put it on the university presidents who allowed Larry Scott to go down that road. And basically put the conference back maybe five, seven, ten years, and that's why we are where we're at right now. It's teetering on a brink. I mean, the once proud conference of champions is uh, is in a in a real bad way. And with SC and UCLA bailing, there's talk of of Oregon possibly with Stanford. Uh, I tell you, the best thing that, that George K. had at media day was the. Ed at Stanford, sitting next to him, uh, almost in a show of support. Uh, it's going to be an interesting time, and uh, this discussion point is ongoing. It's very fluid, and uh, till we get to that point. But uh, SC right now is, is they're a lab experiment. It, you know, this is a thirty for thirty waiting to happen.
1: There you go. All right, got about two minutes to go here. Wrap things up. Want to get your take, Utah and Florida, Cam Rising and company. Talk to Bill Riley, the voice of Utah. They not only turned their inside facility up to 90 degrees, they brought swamp coolers in there, they made it as humid as possible, and they blasted the sound system so that Cam Rising could get ready for the swamp. Uh, also, very fortunate that they grabbed Mahmoud Diabadi, the second-leading tackler for the Gators last year, who transfers, uh, takes over where Devin Lloyd was there, for utah and i would think that's a major get there for utah anthony richardson at quarterbacks had trouble throwing it to guys on his own team but billy napier brings over montrell johnson outstanding running back what's your take real quick utah at florida
3: again when you're on the road you got to play great defense utah can do that you can't turn it over they turned it over way too many times against ohio state in the rose bowl um Billy Napier, first game, they're going to be you got some jitters at at the at the swamp, but I think right now you got to look. You know, they're they're three point favorites over the Gators. The Gators get three at home, basically as the home team. This game's a push. And it's going to come down to the team that does not turn the football over. And uh, Utah can be very physical, but again, you're playing in a little bit different environment. I'm not sure what the the crew is going to be, whether it's an SEC crew or A Pac-12 crew on the road or maybe an ACC, I'm not sure about that. But that will go a long way in regards to how that game is called.
1: All right, Chuck, one minute. Notre Dame at Ohio State up to 17 at the Horseshoe. Uh, Buckner, the quarterback. Uh, for Notre Dame and there's some talent coming back but they lost a lot including Avery Davis who's out for the year with a knee injury major loss as far as the receiving core Ohio State just loaded C.J. Stroud the Heisman Trophy favorite Travion Henderson outstanding in the backfield Jackson Smith and Jigbo what he did in the Rose Bowl last year was ridiculous Marvin Harrison Jr. and company and then the defense loaded as well for Ryan Day you lay the 17 or you take the 17 with the tradition and the Irish
3: Again, they're not playing in South Bend, and Notre Dame's a different team on the road. Marcus Freeman, that's a tough draw right out of the bat, right off the – coming out of the box, if you will, to go into the horseshoe with Ohio State playing at the level they are. And I just wonder if if Brian Kelly was still the head coach, if it would be that number. I'm not sure if that's saying that Notre Dame's not ready to play yet or Ohio State that, that much better. But I think Ohio State on the – on the home turf in the horseshoe, and uh, do this for me, Ken. I want you to watch the start of the game. I want you to look at the Ohio State helmets. They should not have one Buckeye leave on there. Got to get out, Chuck. Wait wait till the next week and see how many are on the punter's helmet.
1: There you go. All right, we'll do that. Great stuff. Chuck Hayes, we will talk to you next Wednesday. Great stuff, as always. Archives will be up by 11 o'clock. That'll do it for me live at Steiner's. No drinking and driving, no texting and driving. Most of all, God bless our troops. God bless you. Live from Vegas SportsX Radio, 101.5 FM, 720 AM, KDWN. I'm Ken Thompson. I've enjoyed it. God bless, folks. Have a great evening. Talk to you tomorrow night. Good night, everybody.